Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm sitting here in my office on the third floor of my house here in Queens, New York, and uh, just excited to be with you again. I must admit it's a bit lonely here in the office, and I keep getting reminded how important it is that folks like you are listening from all over the world. So it's a blessing and uh, glad to be here. So our topic today is break the power of the past. Break the power of the past. Now, in these weeks uh, on this podcast, we've been talking about the marks of a church or ministry culture that moves people from shallow discipleship into an environment, into a culture that deeply changes lives. So in these weeks, we've been talking about these marks of the ministry culture, and uh, they come out of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book that was just released. And the first mark was Be Before You Do. The second was follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. The third was embrace God's gift of limits. The fourth, discover the treasures buried in grief and loss. The fifth, make love the measure of maturity. And today is our sixth. Tomorrow will be our seventh and final one. But the sixth is break the power of the past. Now, this was one of the cutting-edge truths that launched our entire ministry uh, of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship back in 1996, when Jerry and I were at a wall and we sat in this little office uh, with a couple of Christian counselors, therapists, and it was a moment of great pain for us. But they uh, sketched on a little blackboard in about 10 or 15 minutes uh, a little simple graph of, you know, a genogram uh, was what we call it today. And simply, you know, how did our how did our parents do our their marriages? How did our grandparents do their marriages on both sides of the family? And then basically, how did we do ours? And asking us for adjectives to describe them. And we looked at it, and uh, our grandparents, our parents, and then our marriage, and it was very obvious that there wasn't uh, a big difference. Uh, some of the same tensions and difficulties uh, that was in their marriages were in ours, and yet we were the pastor leaders who prided ourselves in how far along we were in Jesus, and we realized we were not very far along at all, that our marriage discipleship was thin, uh, as was all our discipleship, uh, very not very deep beneath the surface, our emotional world, how we did relationships, love, connection, all that uh, was exposed for the shallowness of what it was, and it really did launch us on this journey that we call emotionally healthy discipleship, and we actually were one of many in the church uh, crippled by their pasts. Uh, we were crippled by our past and unaware of how our past impacted our present. And we buried, uh, I know I buried and minimized my family history, uh, like most other people. And as a result, my Christian life was constricted uh, and I was stuck spiritually and emotionally. You know, I, I was asked recently why um, <clears throat> a particular pastor had uh, done something so foolish uh, later in life, uh, in terms of a scandal. And, uh, I said, well, very often what happens is after a life of repression and suppressing, uh, our stuff, it explodes inside of us, uh, because we never allowed Jesus entrance into that part of our lives. And I, I think that kind of repression, suppression, minimizing, blocking out, uh, you know, deep stuff within was very much my way of operating my first 17 years of a Christian life. 
And, you know, as we think about the Holy Spirit, he invites us on, he does invite us on an inner journey. And, he, and like, I like the illustration of a tell, an archaeological tell. There are levels of civilization in an archaeological tell, and they carefully, archaeologists, dig through the tell and get to the bottom of it. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit takes us on a journey of digging beneath the layers of false layers of ourselves and uh, takes us through dark nights of the soul and walls and crises, and, uh, and the Spirit just digs. And the Holy Spirit's in the process of, of healing us and delivering us, and we're giving access to the interiors of our life to, to, to Jesus. Uh, and as we give him access, we get more free in our interior life. And that's why sometimes you can feel like as you're following Jesus, you're getting worse. It seems like that we're experiencing a recycling of problems that we thought we dealt with much earlier in our lives. And we find out that down deep, we're angry people or proud and hostile and uh, you know, and stuff explodes at certain points in our lives, and these, our deep emotional wounds begin to surface uh, as we allow Jesus in. But God's intention is that our discipleship is God's healing us. He's delivering us. He's 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 healing our wounds. He's putting us to death, but He's integrating us and setting us free and resurrecting us. Actually, um, but like a like an archaeological tell, you get to the bottom, and what God's bringing us to is a place of transforming union, loving union with Jesus, oneness with him, but He, there's a descent, in a sense, going somewhere, and that somewhere is to the greater love of God, and we discover that God alone can satisfy. He is the true source of life and happiness, and transforming union with him is what life is all about, and so the Genevieve, or getting back to breaking the power of the past, is about letting God in. Uh, to the deep levels of our interior life so we can be free uh, and resurrected in Christ and offer a gift to the world. You've heard me use this saying, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bone. And uh, in each of our books and materials that we've written over these years, these decades, whether it's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality or Emotionally Healthy Leader, uh, where we talk about face your shadow, uh, whether you're you know, taking the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course uh, in your church, whether it's emotionally spirituality or emotionally relationships, we're always talking about breaking the power of the past. Genograms are breaking free from our history so we can go into the future God has for us. Now, this podcast series, uh, I'm going to approach it a bit differently because I'm approaching it based on the chapter uh, in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book, which I wrote primarily to pastors and leaders and denominational superintendents and bishops and uh, equippers and Bible schools and seminaries. And this represents my latest thinking around this issue of breaking the power of the past and how we get at this material as pastors and leaders. And what makes this particular uh, chapter unique uh, and approach is that it's about in the context of building a, a culture in your ministry, building a, a healthy community long term uh, out of which you're bringing mission, the mission of Jesus uh, to explode into the world. And so again, let me invite you to, before I launch into this um, five, point, five you know, point approach to how to get at it, uh, let me invite you to, again, go to that free discussion guide around the chapter of this book and around the whole book at emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship, and you'll see a free discussion guide along with some, for your team, along with some, some videos, because today we're going to be talking about a very large topic with wide ramifications, as you'll see. And uh, you really need to go and do something with this after you hear the podcast. So again, uh, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship and uh, check out that free discussion guide and other materials around what I'm going to talk to you about today. 
So I want to approach this in one five parts uh, and briefly talk about each one uh, uh, as they're touched on in the chapter as well and develop more fully uh, there. So the first is it. The first part is that genogram your family, identifying how it has shaped you. So it begins with your work on your genogram. Now, again, let me just step back. There's a biblical framework for discipleship uh, that I, that is core to everything uh, that's around EH discipleship, and, and that is how we understand what we're doing as leaders, as pastors, as equippers, as um, as followers of Jesus. And that is this biblical framework that we acknowledge how the blessings and sins of our families, going back three to four generations, profoundly impact who we are today. Uh, and this comes out of the you know the Old Testament scripture where when God speaks of family, he refers not just to a couple or a mother or father with their children, but to the entire extended family over three to four generations. And that means that our, our when we talk about family, it goes back to the late 1800s for us as we listen to this, and that the consequences of our actions and our decisions have generational effects on those who follow. And we see this theme on, you know, God punishes the, ch- the sins, the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. As uh, And as one Old Testament scholar shared, that the best translation of that word punishing is that the sins of the fathers tend to be repeated. And, uh, and what happens in one generation tends to be repeated in the next. Not It's not axiomatic, but tends to be, whether it's alcoholism or depression or suicide or unstable marriages or addictions or mistrust of authority or cutoffs uh, relationally. The list goes on. But, but part of genogramming your family, this first approach is you identify how your family has, has impacted you. And so I give two examples, actually, in the book. First is Abraham, and the second is Isaac. And so there's powerful, positive legacies that we pass on generation to generation. Uh, but we also see negative legacies being passed on generation to generation. And we see that in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his family going down to Joseph, where we see lying, sibling rivalry, uh, poor marriages. And then I also give a, a genogram of David uh, and then Solomon and then Rehoboam, you know, third generation, and you see certain themes in David's life. Again, of course, you've got the positive Davidic legacy that ends up being the Messiah, which is beautiful, but we also see the sins and the brokenness of David uh, being passed on for generations. It's a fascinating study. But then the second, you know, but also discipleship then is is putting off the sinful parts of of our family of origin, recognizing them and then putting them off and then learning, how do I do life in God's family? And so we understand that God, in his sovereignty, put you, and he put me in a particular family, in a particular place, in a particular country, in a particular moment in history. And that choice where God put us has certain opportunities that come with it, as well as uh, liabilities. And so our families, all of our families, because we're all uh, sinners, have handed to us uh, hopefully some good things, but also some entrenched, unbiblical patterns of how to do life and living, and uh, and so Scripture then teaches us that there's a uh, there's an intricate, there's a complex relationship between the kind of person we are today, who we are, and our and our histories, and so what we've done to get at this uh, is develop something we call the, the genogram, and it's not original with us, uh, but it's a way to get at this. Uh, that's very powerful. And so this first part of the approach is, is to master this thing called a genogram. Do it for yourself and then master the use of it because it's so powerful as so many multiple applications. 
And uh, so when we first had that experience in 1996, uh, in that council's office, I went out and began to research, what is this thing? Uh, and I discovered it's called Genogram. And it was used primarily at that point uh, in master's programs and PhD programs for, for therapists and counselors. Uh, and when I eventually went and got my doctor of ministry in marriage and family, uh, one of my great goals was to learn about how can I take this material and bring it to discipleship? And so Jerry and I spent uh, 17 years just on this one skill of how do we bring this issue of genograms because it was so powerful, the visual way of people seeing their families of origin and its impact on them. How do we bring it to the church in the context of discipleship? So we spent many, many, many years working on this and refining it around the world uh, at conferences uh, and have now made it a core part of emotionally healthy discipleship. Now, we've done genograms with leaders and pastors and people from all over the world. Uh, I mean, not just here in our church in Queens, which has people from, you know, 75 different nations, uh, but we've done it in our travels as well over the years. So we've done it with people from, you know, Egypt and different countries in Africa. We've done it from uh, folks from the Mideast. We've done it with PhDs. We've done it with homeless people. We've done it with folks from all the different countries of Asia and Latin America. We've done it with Eastern Europeans and Western Europeans, you know, from folks in the former USSR. I mean, we've done it around issues of racism. I was with somebody recently and talked about how how race and, the, and colorism, color of skin, uh, so impacted uh, his life as an African-American here in the United States and, and his whole self-image and decisions he made. It was just a, a gigantic theme. Uh, and we, we talked about that. It was fantastic, you know, and uh, and I was with someone, again, who was recently was a PhD in uh, New Testament, but didn't do feelings, didn't do emotional connection. Uh, again, going back back to his family of origin, huge limit. Uh, but we're all broken. We're all broken. Uh, every family is, some more than others. I consider mine very broken. But uh, it, to, to do a genogram enables people to get a big picture in life. Uh, in fact, I like to I like to call it. It's almost like a. It's like getting the overview effect. The overview effect was was a term used for when astronauts first went to outer space. One of the most powerful things that happened was not the discovering of outer space. Was looking back at the Earth for the first time, and they could see the Earth from a whole new perspective as a tiny, fragile ball hanging in the air in this void, uh, shielded by this paper thin atmosphere, and and astronauts and cosmonauts talked about how transformative the experience was of looking back at the earth and there's actually books about it and there's actually a documentary it's a free documentary that you can find on vimeo called the overview effect and i encourage you to check it out but but different astronauts would say things like finally the earth shrank to the size of a marble the most beautiful marble you marble you can imagine seeing this has to change a person and appreciate the creation of god and the love of god Another astronaut said there was no intellectual preparation uh, that could have been made for this. And there was no way you could be prepared for such an emotional impact. Well, the same way to, uh, to lead someone in a genogram is to help them step out and look at their life in the big picture. And so we developed this, these kind of tools and, and a genogram asking these kinds of questions as people fill it out, like how would you describe each family member in your family? Again, imagining you're a child growing up in that family, 8 to 12 years old. How would you describe your parents and your grandparents' marriage? How was conflict handled? Uh, were there any generational themes like affairs and losses or abuse or divorce or mental illness? How did your family talk about feelings? How was sexuality not talked about or talked about? Uh, were there any family secrets 
like unwed pregnancies or incest or financial scandals? How is money handled and success? How did your family's race or ethnicity shape you? Or culture? Were there any heroes in the family or scapegoats or losers? Why was that? Were there any addictions or traumatic losses and uh, wounds that were passed on? And then you'd be able to make connections and look at the relational dynamics and uh, themes that come out and earthquake events that really shook the family like suicide or infidelity or immigration. And then we invite people to, to look at what, what were some patterns of their family of origin that might have impacted who they are today and how it impacts their leadership. It's a tremendous exercise. Uh, and we actually, I actually offer it, for, we actually offer it for free on our website that you could actually download me like leading your team in doing it, you, even you personally, uh, uh, on your genogram. There's handouts and I explain and lead you through leading it and then you do it individually or as a team and then you come we come back and I explain it to you the implications uh, you might want to check that out it's at emotionallyhealthy.org slash team uh, that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash team and there's a one of the four team transformational videos is called explore your genogram uh, and uh, we were asked so many times to come do that for leadership teams that we actually just had it filmed and it's available on our website free uh, it takes about an hour and a half to do it to two hours. Uh, there's handouts with it as well as the videos. It's a great first step to get you started in breaking the power of the past. So I highly, highly recommend it to, that to you. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. The second part of bringing in this break the power of the past into a culture you're building or a team you're building or a church you're building is that you are calling people to do the hard work of discipleship. Uh, and in other words, that since discipleship is leaving our families of origin and our cultures in order to live in the new family of Jesus, then I've got to do the hard work of looking at what are the things that I've got to now put off that don't belong in the new family of Jesus. And again, it's a framework, right? So whether it's uh, you know, you're a workaholic, all right? And, and uh, uh, so in the new family of Jesus, we're not workaholics. We have a rhythm of Sabbath and work or work and Sabbath. We work six days and we Sabbath. Uh, we have rhythms. Uh, uh, maybe your family didn't do vulnerability, uh, or maybe your family didn't confront conflict. Everyone's always being nice and swept it under the rug. But in the new family of Jesus, we actually negotiate difference. We address conflict. We speak clearly, honestly, and respectful. Uh, the way you do supervision is going to be different because, uh, you know, what does someone need to ask you all the time? What's the cutting edge of your growth as a follower of Jesus? Uh, this is the hard work of discipleship. This is this is applying what it means to go to your cross and die with Jesus so you can be resurrected. Uh, this is the hard work of discipleship is as you begin to look at your genogram and family of origin, you begin to see there's certain holes or critical areas for you uh, to grow and mature in. Uh, so I'll, for example, for me, the hard work of discipleship was uh, growing in my level of differentiation and leading strongly. Uh, now, differentiation is our ability to define our life goals apart from the pressures of those around us. Uh, and high differentiation is the ability to grow in our faithfulness to be our true selves uh, without, uh, without worrying so much about the disapproval or approval of other people. Now, in my family growing up, uh, there was tremendous pressure to think and feel like everybody else. It was low differentiation. So you didn't assert your own opinions or values or goals. Uh, so I actually brought that low level of differentiation, not just into my marriage, but into my leadership as a pastor. 
uh, I may have had the title lead pastor or senior pastor, but I sure didn't feel like it. And so I would say this is the direction I think we should go because I do have lots of visions and dreams. But as soon as somebody criticized me or opposed me, I would quickly retreat uh, because I didn't want them to think I was a bad person. Uh, and so it was very confusing. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't lead, I didn't lead strongly. I, I led half in, half out, and uh, it was hard for everybody. Uh, so part of my my hard work of discipleship was to grow in my level of dis- differentiation and to lead strongly and respectfully to other people, staying connected and yet speaking clearly, uh, honestly, and and uh, directly about this is where I believe God's calling us to go. Uh, but growing in differentiation was very hard for me because I hated conflict uh, and avoided it. So I was a huge discipleship issue for me. And then I also had, had to learn to prioritize self-care and marriage. I didn't know how to do self-care because we didn't do that in my family. You worked. You worked. You just worked. And uh, to take care of myself and as God cares for me so I could serve others out of a full cup, that was very radical. And that was a real challenge to learn how to delight and learn how to play. And then how to, how to put marriage after, after Jesus to put marriage first uh, to lead out of my marriage, that was just a, a huge paradigm shift. I, I didn't know how to be, uh, how to lead out of my marriage. I didn't know how to be married. The only thing I knew was what my family did around marriage as an Italian American. So that was a gigantic uh, discipleship issue to, uh, to shift my schedule uh, so that my marriage was filled with passion and love, uh, and and that I led out of that, and I had to get equipped for that, and I still get equipped in that, but. In other words, I had to do the hard work of discipleship myself. Uh, and out of that, I began to call other people to do the hard work of discipleship. But a third area is, the third application is to consistently proclaim and help people get a great future out of their past. Uh, this, is the, this is one of the great messages we bring as leaders to the world. And that is, your past is not your future. That God's got a great future for you. And just like in the story of Joseph, he wants to take all of your history sins done against you, maybe sins you've committed, all your failures. And as we offer it to him like Joseph does in Genesis 37 to 50, God takes all of that to, to feed nations out of Joseph. And so in the same way, he has a great future for all of us. And uh, we're to get a great future out of our past. One of the great um, stories that I, I quote in the EH Discipleship book, it comes from a Margaret Silf's book, Inner Compass, and she offers a, a prayer picture of what it looks like to let go of the past in order to live into the future that God has for us. And uh, the following is my adaptation of, of her story. Uh, it goes something like, like this. Imagine yourself standing on the banks of a river. It's a fast-flowing river. It's wide. But you've got to cross this river, but there's no bridge. But Jesus comes and he carries a large stone and he places, he places it in the river right in front of you. And they invite you to step on that large stone. And every day he brings you another large stone and then another and then another. And you move out into the water, this fast flowing river, wide flowing river. You move out further into the water each day. One day, however, you find yourself in the middle of this river with the water rushing all around you and no new stone appears. You're looking around. You look, you can't go forward uh, and you're, you're panicking. And you look back to the shore and you then realize that where the stones were coming from, Jesus has systematically been taking or dismantling the cottage on the shore behind you. It's the place in the past where you have lived your entire life. 
And it's turning out that Jesus, one stone at a time, has been taking stones from that cottage and making it stepping stones for your future. So you take a deep breath and you wait for God. You And when your heart's still, Jesus quietly then places the next stone in front of you. And he invites you to take yet another step across that fast-moving river. And then you realize he'll always be bringing one more stone, just one at a time, and he's going to nudge you forward into the future. And you realize that you can trust him as he continues to take the stones from your past and he uses them to lead you into a great future. Every leader I meet, especially those in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, has a suitcase full of failures. Uh, in fact, the older one gets the, one of the great temptations is you, this voice that says, you're finished, you've got nothing to offer. And one of, my, one of my passions is to rekindle the fire and the vision uh, in men and women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, that they've got a treasure from their pasts to offer the next generation in mentoring. Uh, your best years of investing in the generation behind you come out of your failures, mistakes, and family history. But the fourth part as we think about breaking the power of the past is that you begin to break the power of the past uh, in every area of life and discipleship for the church. In other words, you, you, you frame your leadership at this point that I am breaking the power of the past as a leader. I'm Ephesians 4, I'm equipping uh, the saints for the work of the ministry. I am, my role is to teach people how do you live in this new family of Jesus, which means they got to break the power of the past from their histories. Uh, that's what a that's what a leader is. I don't care if it's a parachurch. I don't care if it's a small group. I don't care if you're a boss in a marketplace. You're a pastor of a church. Um, preaching is about teaching people uh, to break the power of the past in every area of life. Uh, in fact, it, it, what we do then is we're bringing specific application for that. Um, and, and so we see that with Jesus in the twelve, he's very carefully breaking the power of the way they think about uh, God and the Messiah. And what's greatness and what's success and right the, the whole thing of the, the podcast on break the we follow the crucified not the Americanized Jesus we don't follow this uh, you know the culture around us we're following Jesus and so uh, you know so I just mentioned to you one of my big areas as I've hit my fifties and sixties has been what does it mean to grow older in the new family of Jesus and I have realized oh my gosh there you, you, in scripture you've got Abraham at seventy five and Moses at eighty and Anna at, at eighty four and at Jesus' circumcision, and you've got these tremendous examples that, that you don't ever retire, you transition from paid work perhaps, but but we, we, we serve in full-time ministry, uh, all of us, whether we're vocationally working or not, until uh, the day we die. And uh, that are, are, in some ways, our best years are as we grow older. And uh, and then even parenting, I've learned so much about parenting. Uh, there's endless issues. How do I parent adult children? And I think I've mentioned that before in different podcasts, but it became a big discipleship issue for me as my kids grew older. And how do I build a team? How do I build teams around me? And, uh, you know, recognizing it's more than Enneagram number, it's it's getting into their genogram. Uh, and that takes time. And I, I would encourage you to do a genogram with everybody on your team, one-on-one, uh, -on -one. get to know them. It's foundational. Uh, in fact, when I'm teaching scripture, I'm always approaching it when I study scriptures, houses, truth, different from the way I was shaped in my family of origin growing up. I mean, just this morning, my own devotional time, I was on Matthew 10, and uh, where Jesus says, a student is not above his master, nor a servant above, no, a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. They call me, me Beelzebub. What do you think they're going to call you, basically? 
And the point is, Jesus says, success of the world counts. Success is of no criteria whatsoever for a disciple of Jesus. It's completely different. I thought, my gosh, I was, my whole life, my family and culture has pounded into me a definition of success that is completely antithetical to the way Jesus defines it. And I just was so struck by that. And I said, my goodness. And then fifthly, the fifth big category is that we want to name and tame the negative legacies of our ministry's history or our church's history. Uh, this is a really large area. In other words, we do a genogram not just for individuals. We actually do a genogram of our church, uh, of our ministries. So maybe you're in a parachurch. What's the history of that parachurch, you know, and, and where it came from? The history of your church, um, you know, how it was founded, different key moments in the church, and maybe splits, uh, key leadership. But when people take over a ministry or transition to a new church, uh, you got to learn the history, the genogram. Uh, what were the gifts? What were the liabilities? What were the positive legacies and the negative legacies? You want to get information. People who try to change a church history or a ministry history quickly, uh, I would say, according to the Proverbs, are fools. It's not that people are not in step with the Spirit. Uh, there's a history there. And uh, this is an invitation to thoughtful, uh, wise leadership. So I, I actually, I, I began to do this with denominations and movements uh, after doing individual genograms with leaders and pastors, it's actually lead them into a genogram exercise of, of their movement or their church over a period of, depending on how old they are. So I, I put an example actually uh, in this chapter of, of one particular movement or association of churches, a few hundred churches, where they had some positive legacies, but they also had some negative legacies they need to actually look at. So there were things like uh, they, they believed in a plurality of leadership, which was a good thing. The problem is that if you were a strong visionary leader, you couldn't emerge. Uh, they were into you know, being generous to give people away, but they also were distrustful of other institutions and training that were not from their movement. Uh, they were passionate for the Great Commission, but they were overly busy uh, and fast-moving. They were very kind and gentle, positive legacy. The negative legacy was they did not address conflicts. Uh, you know, the list went on. And so it's really helpful to do a genogram of your ministry. And that's why church history is so important. You got to think of the genogram of the church for the last 2,000 years, the genogram of the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, Protestantism, Evangelicalism in the United States, for example. Uh, so things like lead out of your marriage are so foreign to evangelicalism over the last few hundred years that I, and I'm very intentionally bringing some of the riches of church history to the table because I want to balance the genogram of my particular evangelical charismatic tradition. I want to keep the positive legacies of love for scripture and mission of the church, equipping the body of Christ uh, to use their gifts. But I want to discard, and we want to discard things that don't belong in the new family of Jesus, like you know marriage and, and family life that's put on the back burner or, or divisions or fierce independence or being way too busy and not reflective. So you can add, you know what you could add to this? You could add to this that every country has a genogram. I mean, just think of the history of the United States. I know we've got a certain genogram going back to our founding. I think Canada, Canada, every country can go down a line here, positive and negative legacies. So again, uh, let me invite you to explore your genogram. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash team. Check out that experience. Maybe do it with your team over an hour and a half to two hour time just to kind of dive into this topic. Uh, and you want to look at this discussion guide around this chapter in uh, the free discussion guide at emotionallyhealthy.org slash discipleship and check that out. All right, let me close with a final word here. It's from a Hasidic rabbi and it's a good one. And uh, 
as we think about breaking the power of the past. And you think, oh my gosh, everyone needs to break the power of the past around me. They're such a mess. Well, yes. But as a great Hasidic rabbi said, when I was young, I set out to change the world. When I grew a little older, I perceived that this was too ambitious, so I set out to change my state. This too, I realized as I grew older, was too ambitious, so I set out to change my town. When I realized I could not even do this, I tried to change my family. But now as an old man, I know that I should have started by changing myself. If I started with myself, maybe then I would have succeeded in changing my family, the town, or even the state, and who knows, maybe even the world. God bless you, everybody. Great to be with you. May God give you grace to break the power of the past and lead God's people into a great future for the glory of Jesus. Take care. Thank you.